0: Welcome to your mandatory wellness session. I'm your host, Anoop, And I'm your other host, Samir. Samir, it's been 40 years since I've seen you last.
1: I thought you were going to say a minute, and then I was going to say a little longer, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's oh, been a while. I pivoted. I pivoted. It's been a really long time. When's the last really... time we
0: put out an episode? It was... Yeah,
1: that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. I was trying to figure that out, actually. Let me see. When did we put out an episode? I think it was two weeks ago. I, was it two or was it three? Them. They went in three weeks ago. Because I think we took a little long to edit the last episode. We did. That, that is true. Yeah. Which in hindsight, I'm very glad we did. Because if yeah, we'd been efficient right. about it, this would have been even crazier. Yeah. So we put this out, last one, on June 25th. So that was three weeks ago. Okay. Three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we're back
0: at it again. And this one will still not come out tomorrow. Well, so. well,
1: well, we'll see. My, my goal, because it's been so long, is to try to just edit it this weekend and get oh, it out. Oh, that's heavy quick
0: turn i think what we what we've learned is we need to prepare for when i am on ir <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> That's been, sort of lit. right right so yeah so for our listeners i think that the key here was also, also what that means is because this one took two or three weeks to edit it's been at least five or six weeks since we've recorded yeah it's been a while, it's been a while. Uh, i haven't seen your face
0: Oh, we look at each other while we record this podcast. Right. I don't know if that was clear. I guess we could just do it
1: all over audio. That that would feel pretty weird. That would be really weird. Yeah. Uh, are you telling you don't dream about me on the reg? That's.
0: Uh, I that's do, but learn. it's much more abstract. You're more of a, a color and a series of <laughs> shapes than, than a man. <laughs>
1: Textures. Yes. Right, that's very reasonable. Um, yeah. Oh, I was, it was interesting. I was um, on the subject of dreams, so I started listening to other podcasts. I guess this podcast is going to be me advertising other podcasts, but mm-hmm. it's their pod. It's a Gimlet podcast called "Every Little Thing." And, and, she and does, it's a does fun his one. magic. Sorry, what? Every little thing she does is magic. so the a song. Yeah.
0: Oh, uh, Samir, you made me very sad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this 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 um the show is basically. People call in with like these sort of these difficult questions that are hard to basically like easily Google and find the answer to. So one of them was kind of like, is it weird to be like polite to like your Google assistant or Alexa? Just kind of an interesting question. And they, and they basically, they find an expert sort of in that area and then they bring them on and then they chat with the person who asked the question. Like it's the host Flora, who seems delightful. The person who called and then like this expert, and they all kind of chat about it. And then it's, it's pretty interesting. They're pretty manageable. They're like 20, 25 minute podcasts and One of them that I listened to recently was basically about lucid dreaming. And one of the questions was, is it possible to get better at things from doing them in your dreams? Hmm. Fascinating. And the answer is kind of like, okay, if if you're good enough at lucid dreaming, like, yes, probably. And so the idea, so lucid dreaming is basically right. So when you, you're basically able able to control, like you're aware you're in a dream. So you're able to control your dream. And so the thought is that like doing mental practice In general is useful like if you are let's say a musician and you sort of like mentally kind of go through like how you're going to like play a piece in the piano and sort of think through it you tend to be better at better at it when you actually do it and so the idea is if you do that in your dream could you actually be better and what they found is it's it's a little hard to study obviously but it seems like yes like when they get people to do things like practice throwing darts and stuff in their dream they're like better in real life interesting how have they studied that yeah, so I they found people who are, like, expert lucid dreamers, people who are, like, really good at lucid dreaming and do it, like, routinely all the time, and they basically get one group of them to try to do it in their dream. And, I mean, obviously the person has to, like, t- tell you the truth, obviously, but, like, assuming they did it, and then they basically, like, test them before and after. The people who lucid dream, I guess, were, like, better at it. Like, they got, they got better at it faster than people who were not intentionally trying to practice it. Interesting. But they were both practicing the darts either way. In real life, they would... They would be like, oh, here's like a baseline. They would like throw darts and be like, okay, you kind of suck. And they'd be like, okay, like take a week. Don't like actually throw darts in real life or something. Or maybe like a few days. But lucid dream and try to practice mm. in your dreams. And then they brought them back and then try to have them throw darts again. And then the other ones got better at it.
0: Interesting. That's a very interesting example too, because it's not just you. Like if it's all just muscle memory, Right. Right. That's fine, but this is like a (laughs) understanding of physics that you're practicing, right? In your your dream, in your
1: dream, yes, exactly, yeah. So it's super right, yeah. Because obviously, of course, gravity is like isn't like there's no reason that your gravity is going to be correct in your dream, right? And that your dream, your mind is able to properly show you what would really happen as opposed to yeah, it's able
0: to model it and model itself. Like the the mind understands, you know, your own strength. Right, which is a very interesting. Yes, concept. I, I,
1: yes, the whole thing is completely. I, mean, I was like, this doesn't even make sense, but uh, apparently, I, it yeah. was like it totally blew my mind. Live streaming
0: has always been very fascinating. It's
1: very <laughs> cool. It's super yeah. cool. Yeah. So that just totally blew my mind, and I was like, what? And I guess they, they this is not obviously like a controlled study, but they have basically done similar things with like athletes and stuff. And try to get them to lucid dream and do this, and the athletes have reported that they feel like they're better. Interesting. Obviously, well, hard to know.
0: I also wonder just how much of that is is lucid dreaming better quality sleep because sleep is where you consolidate information. Sure, anyways. that's a fair point, right? Yeah, right. So have you entered a state of like improved sleeping where you are right. now
1: read like you're better consolidating your information? Hmm. Yeah, that's it's really. A yeah, that's a very interesting point. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, I was I I don't so I. I have occasionally become aware of dreams and, like, lucid dreamt accidentally, mm-hmm. um, but re- rarely. And then I will also occasionally get sleep paralysis, which is, like, terrifying. Always. Yeah, I um, that's like the, the dark side of lucid Yeah, dreaming. no, I
0: would I would highly recommend you don't do that. It's yeah. just
1: terrible. So what always happens to me that basically causes me to go to sleep paralysis is, one, when I'm very exhausted and tired, then I fall into it way more easily. Two, tends to happen when I suddenly notice, like, really, really suddenly in a dream that I'm dreaming be like instantly sort of like mentally wake up because it's, it's like a very sudden realization like i'll be like dreaming 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 i'm like wait this makes no sense and i'm like oh fuck <laughs> you're like dreaming dreaming dreaming, and then you're like wait a minute dreaming <laughs> <laughs> but yes like kind of though it's happened to me before where i was like home and just like hanging out with my parents in the dream and i was like wait a minute i was in atlanta yesterday also, wait a minute. I didn't take a plane anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm dreaming. And I would be like, you know, <laughs> wait a minute. You're not purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. Why are we on Mars? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's often like weird, mundane stuff. I anyway, Point being, it sounds very interesting. And like, I was, of course, naturally, I was like, I wonder if you could use that to make your, like your surgical skills better. I guess theoretically. But I think it would require a lot of lucid dreaming skill to be able to do so. So yeah. I got really. Into the
0: concept of lucid dreaming in high school. Yeah. And at the time, I like looked it up a bunch online. Was it and...
1: was it around the time Inception came out? Because that's also when I became interested in it. Oh, that's possible.
0: I think it was after Inception. Mm. Um, maybe a recurrence and a sort of a reception, if you will. Sure. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> right, right. A wedding reception. <laughs> yeah, I was at a wedding reception thinking of Inception. And I was like, oh. And then I realized everybody was purple. Turns out I was dreaming. <laughs> Would you say that was a deception? yeah well it was a deception i was playing on myself in, right in many ways uh and those are the greatest deceptions the all.
1: important thing is that you didn't have any preconceptions no no no
0: anyways that's uh the night that i uh found out that my wife was pregnant and uh <laughs> turns out we had had a conception <laughs> yeah
1: i can see you realizing that <laughs> you hadn't phrased your sentence correctly to use the proper tense that you wanted to no it's very different and different. you're like ah oh, damn, i don't want to say conceive how do i how do i fix this
0: <laughs> Well, I think what I should have done going back, I should have actually just said conceived and just, like, done it purposefully. Like, I actively avoided it. Let it let it be there, yeah. Uh, next time, next time. Let's next take time. it again. Take it again. <laughs> uh, welcome to your mandatory <laughs> wellness
1: session. <laughs> But yeah, so that's kind of a very random tangent. But yes, good podcast and also yeah. interesting subject matter.
0: Anyways, sure. our topic for this week, in uh, regards <laughs> to medical wellness, is lucid dreaming. So let's get into it. That's the fourth tenet of <laughs> medical ethics. Right. Everybody knows that. Everybody
1: knows that. Yeah. yeah. Those, those are the four beneficence, <laughs> justice, autonomy, lucid dreaming. <laughs> lucid dreaming. Oh man, it's a a classic. How have you been otherwise?
0: I don't know. I don't understand the question. I I think I already told you I was on IR. So that's everything.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been taking a lot of your time. I was saying to you, like, I mean, you basically have like a surgical resident schedule right now and like a surgical resident on a tough rotation. Yes. Yes. So it's very busy. Uh, It's a ton of fun.
0: The days go by very quickly. So that's great. Uh, Time flies. It's uh, literally, it's been three weeks. I barely even noticed. Which has been great. I mean, I enjoy the work itself, but it does make it so you don't do very much outside of the hospital. Sure. At one point in time, uh, we were in a case, and one of the attendings will be like, "Was like, oh, this will be your homework for tonight." I'm like, "I'm only home for the space of time it requires me to sleep, and then I'm back here." Right. I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. That's...
0: Uh, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. You'll do the work here because this is your home. <laughs> that's just the place you go to sleep." did you say that that's funny Uh, in a roundabout way that's funny yeah it was it was a good time
1: yeah no i mean it's good it's one of those things i mean i think it's always the balance right i think something we should discuss on the autonomy episode which is if you're there late but you're at least doing things that you enjoy doing as opposed to like sitting and doing paperwork i think it feels better even if you still are very tired yeah like both things are true
0: it's it's an interesting balance i'll say if i'm there late in a case it's great if I'm there late and it's like an hour before the case will be in the room, I'm just like, why am I... What that is, is tragic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, for sure. I, I recently... I was on call over a weekend and we had to do a stent for someone who has like an infected stone and it was at our VA hospital. And the VA in general, I think, has, as everyone knows, across the country tends to be a little slower. There's a lot of bureaucracy. And just getting this case started, I mean, it just took hours. And it yeah. was just... I mean, the actual case was relatively fast, but the waiting was just brutal. And I obviously couldn't go home either, because I didn't know when it was going to happen. Like, I just was there, more or less doing nothing for hours. Um, Right. And, and like, also late at night. Like, this was, like, at, like, 10 or 11 p.m. At, like, the beginning of my call weekend. So, it's like, this is not an auspicious start. Yeah, not not a hot
0: look, to say the least. That's the biggest thing, is just, I wish... If I had something to do, right? Like if I had a call room and I could just go sleep for an hour or whatever and then have them page me when the case is moving in. But there's always just enough going on that you like kind of need. Like they'll call you about this or they'll need orders and they'll need that. So you can't really
1: disengage. No, you can't. So you're just kind of there for an hour. And same with this as well. There was was like stuff to do in order to get it to happen. Yeah. But it was just going to take hours regardless. But I still have to do the things.
0: And it's like, once the case is in the room and you're doing it, it's awesome. Time flies. Like, I had this... I keep losing afternoons because I'll well, be like... Well,
1: because of your TBI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because of the traumatic brain injury.
0: I woke up in Arizona the other day.
1: It was I don't it was know a, how it, I got it's there. A, it's a memento situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Anyways, uh, what what were we... Where are we <laughs> right now? Don't, tr- don't trust Samir? That's Why does it say that on my hand? <laughs> yeah. It says it on both of my hands. (laughs) Wow, I'm very good at writing with my left hand. It's crazy. Oh, I'm ambidextrous now. All right. Uh, There's a shockingly... Not a shocking, I guess, given the skill set. But too many people at IR who are like, Oh, yeah, I'm ambidextrous. I'm like, then your advice is not helpful to me.
1: But are they, like, genuinely ambidextrous? Or is it like, oh, I do procedures and so... As part of being a good proceduralist, I have to be basically ambidextrous.
0: Yes, my left hand is is slowly becoming more and more adept at things over the last few weeks because I've just been like, I mean, you're supposed to be able to pin pull things off a wire with one hand. So you have to pin the wire with two fingers and then pull with the other three.
1: Yeah, it's hard to do. It's It's very
0: hard to do. They told me to just grab a catheter and wire and practice at home. Uh... Classic. which is you know, yeah, yeah i mean that's an interesting choice at least they're not asking me to pack practice suturing oh. Right. i have to throw i have to throw like three sutures
1: it's like a drain suture um, a purse string and that's
0: about it it's not <laughs> no, that
1: hard I, that recently happened i was in a i was in a ca- I was i like a microscopic case and mm-hmm. so sewing under a microscope or just like suturing is very challenging right especially the first few times you do it because it's just very disorienting because every, like, obviously, like, like your proper exception doesn't totally work the way right. it does normally. And the, and the small thing, here, this is going to blow your mind. The small thing,
0: it's big now. And right. It's is very confusing.
1: It's like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, I'm sorry. What? What's yeah. happening?
0: Is this the movie Ant-Man? <laughs> All run? Right, or what's going on? <laughs>
1: what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's challenging. And so then my attending who I was working with was like, you should um, go home and like tie with your loops on to do that so I tried, I tried doing it i think it helped a little still hard because i feel like like i can tie and not look at sutures like i practice doing that but it is hard to both do that and not pull up on the tissues a lot like fragile tissues right because otherwise it's hard to like get a sense of like right if you're not well, looking at yeah.
0: You're using your proprioception in that case, right? So you're, right. You're so, right. Exactly.
1: That. So, like, I can tie that looking, but I kind of my reaction is to pull up a little more so I can feel the tension in the suture. So to both tie not without looking and to not do that is very hard, at least for me. <laughs> and yeah. then, so then, when you're tying in this, like, my, with, under like a microscope or under loops, you are looking as you place the knot down. But I guess you don't really look when you're tying because it's sort of outside the field because your hands are too far back to do it. And right. so. I guess, yeah, I was trying to do that. And it was, I think I got a little better at it, but it was definitely challenging. Right, them. right. Yeah, so. I,
0: I'm running into that same situation. Actually, with the example we just talked about where they're like, oh, you should practice pinning and pulling at home, right? And I'm like, but there's no, like, the thing, the catheter and wire won't be in a person. So they won't provide any resistance. So there's nothing I'm, like, pin pulling against. And that was like, well, that's exactly my point. It's like, if you're relying on the resistance of the person to keep you from displacing things you're going to displace something right because yes. you've relied on that right and with yeah. like you know with the bigger things aortic work or actually aortic work is a perfect example you don't want to displace anything right if you've right. gotten
1: your sheath exactly where it should be don't fuck it up that's right? actually so interesting because i mean when we like obviously in urology we do a lot of stuff involving wires and catheters as well and when we are like let's say we have access to like the ureter i mean you don't we, yeah, we call it like push pulling a wire you do that with two hands. You like yes. pull, yeah, right. But like I guess you're so are you saying you guys you guys will do that one handed? Well, yeah, you should be able to do it one handed. Because the thing is,
0: so we you guys probably don't telescope as much as we do. So we'll have a sheath into the vascular space, a micro catheter or a regular catheter to select like a visceral artery and then a micro catheter inside of that regular catheter to then subselect third order Ca- catheters all the way down catheters all the way down and then a tiny wire inside of that catheter. <laughs> <laughs> so right and then so, a tiny catheter inside that wire <laughs> yeah yeah and then there's this tiny catheter in all of us that pilots us like ratatouille <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. yeah. Uh, Katha Everyone Kathatu, knows, yeah. everyone the, knows next, the, the movie. The new Pixar lineup's getting a little abstract, but <laughs> I don't know. It's still good. Strange times, strange movies, you know? So we have a lot of things telescoping. So you have to be able to hold things in place so that you're not displacing your mm, the next catheter right. up with one hand while you pin-pull out with the I, other I hand.
1: mean, I will say that would be a useful skill. There are times when that happens where you basically—it kind of requires someone—well, often requires somebody else because right. they are— like, if, you're, if, you have a, if you have a wire, an inner obturator, and a sheath, and you're trying to keep the wire in place and the sheath in place while remo- basically removing the middle thing while keeping yeah. the inner and outer thing in place, exactly. it sort of requires someone else to help. I guess unless you're able to do the inner and the middle with one hand and hold the outer with your other hand.
0: Exactly that. That's exactly it. Mm. So that is the thing. And like, we have very good scrub techs and residents at my hospital, but... We need to practice in a way where you don't need those people right. because that's not ubiquitous in the field.
1: I had the fellow this year who's great and is definitely very endoscopically skilled. I mean, he's, he's here for like a recon fellowship, but you know, he's very good. And he would basically always say like when I would be doing cases with him, he'd be like, tell me exactly what you want me to do as if I've like never done this before. Because he's like, you'll be in practice and the person you're work- the person who's like helping you is not a urologist and they will not know what to do. Right. So you need to explain it in a way that they're not going to do things like accidentally pull your wire out because that will happen. And I was like, oh shit, okay. And it's, it's hard to do actually. It's hard to explain that kind of stuff because I'm just used to right? As a resident, you're basically always working with someone who's better than you at the right. thing you're doing, right? It's it's straight like, oh, do the thing. And they're already doing it, obviously, because they know right. what to do,
0: right? So, yeah. Yeah, That's so, I, I like – I've had an intern with me and that's been kind of nice because he – I'm actively teaching him. So if I don't explain it correctly – he won't know the right thing to do. It's exactly that. So it's helped me firm that up. And a lot of our attendings do that as well, where they're just like, okay, what do you want to do next? And I'll say something and they're like, well, don't ask me, just what do you want to do next? Like, you know, you you phrase it in the form of a question. They don't like that. And they really like uh, telling me how much they don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's been fun. It's been a good time. It's all in good fun. They're really like, it's, it's actually shocking to me how they can maintain that
1: attitude, but they don't actually seem to get mad. They're just like, oh, just do it right. <laughs> like, so this, I feel like, I mean, once again, so conveniently, just feels like the perfect transition into this week's topic. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems to happen more often than not. Yeah, Good thing this it's a piece. really well-written script. <laughs> <laughs> so, today, so this week's topic is the fourth principle of medical ethics, as we discussed, lucid dreaming um <laughs> exactly. you know, it's, right so the fourth one right so we've, we've we've done beneficence we've done autonomy we've done justice and so the last one is non like what is called non-maltheasance or non-maleficence uh, depending on the source you look at We're, we'll refer to it as non-maltheasance in this podcast but both are acceptable and if you really don't like angelina jolie non-maleficent could also work your call
0: yes so the fourth principle of medical ethics is you cannot watch the movie maleficent it's just not that's allowed. It's a little It's pretty easy, but <laughs> shockingly, a lot of people fuck it up. A lot of people fall into it, and it's very bad. Yeah, you, you walk into the car room, your co-resident's watching Maleficent. You're like, "What the fuck, man? <laughs> there are only four <laughs> principles.
1: Yeah. Not that hard, <laughs> right? So, and yeah, I mean, the worst is if you lucid dream about that movie. I mean, that's just—I don't even. Oh my god, you're, that... you're you're beyond recovery at that point. Yeah, well, you're using one of the principles to violate the other principle. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's very it's very convoluted. So, right. So this is the last principle, non-maleficence. And, and this this encompasses the classic line in medicine, right? Do no harm, right? So, and the way it applies to applies patients, obviously, right, is it's distinct from beneficence where you're trying to actively do good in that you don't do things that are bad. And so that's things like you shouldn't operate on someone, for example, if, you know, there's basically no hope of actually a benefit for them, and it's only going to cause harm. Which sometimes, I mean, it sounds straightforward, but sometimes it's hard. When it feels like, you know, maybe we could do something, but, you know, in reality, maybe you're not gonna be able to because their pathology, for example, is so bad for X, Y, and Z reason. And obviously there are other examples as well. So I think from our perspective, the question is how does this apply to um, resident wellness and sort of just our experiences as residents? I think kind of what you just said is certainly a good place to start, right? Our interactions with attendings and ways in which they can, you know, they can instruct you. They can kind of get on your case a little bit and do so in a way that isn't, you know, malignant, as people say, right? They're not doing things that are actively belittling you or, you know, really causing harm in that sense. Uh, I'm kind of curious, I guess, when you look at that, when you, when you look at your attendings, you feel like are doing a job of that. Is there anything in particular you feel like they are doing to walk that line where they're able to instruct in a way that is constructive without falling into the trap of being destructive?
0: You straddle a very fine line when you're teaching. Because I think the process of learning is inherently, at this level, a little stressful, right? This isn't like elementary school. When you learn in medicine, in medical residency, everything has stakes. It is inherently stressful. And then on top of that, having a little bit of stress will actually help you remember the thing, right? It's like, I could tell you theoretically how to do any procedure outside of the procedure room. It's probably not going to stick as well as if I put you
1: in the procedure room and I say, okay, what do I do next? Right. No, And, I, and right, along those lines, I'll say, right. I mean, obviously the attending's job is to avoid you making like a major mistake that's going to cause a problem, but you right. can do things that are kind of like minor mistakes that are very fixable and cause no harm to the patient, but are like not great to do. It can maybe make things go a little longer and maybe it requires you have to do it an additional step, something like that. And obviously you want to avoid those period, but inevitably the process of learning is such that, oftentimes those mistakes will occur. I've had attendings telling me like, well, I don't think you'll ever make that mistake again. Right, right, right. I mean, so there's those... something to be said, like the experiential learning is important.
0: Right, right. And that's the nature of medical residency. and And the medical ethics behind having a trainee do something is another much larger discussion. <laughs> but right. in terms of the actual learning of it, it is important to get hands on in the room doing that thing. So what's the flip side of that? It's Making that experience not viscerally unpleasant. (laughs) So two things is like one, keep it light. It's like allow the person to be wrong and not wrong in a way where they make a mistake, but just wrong, like if they say they don't know, that shouldn't be the end of the world. That's actually the responsible thing to do. If they don't feel comfortable doing the thing, they shouldn't do it. Right. Uh, And obviously there's a line there. If they keep saying they don't know, they're not
1: progressing because of it then yeah. you have to
0: push a little harder. No,
1: exactly. And I'm really glad you mentioned it because that's something I wanted to you know jump in to say, which is basically, obviously there's a responsibility as a trainee to be prepared, right? You have to be ready for the case. You have to have read about the patient. You have to understand the steps of the procedure. Obviously, if you're going in there and you don't know what the fuck's going on, that is not acceptable. Like you're not right. doing both your due diligence as a as a trainee, but also like to the patient. Like it's, like, it's a person, right? Like you can't do that. It's like not right. And so I, I think to that point, obviously... You have to be aware, but there are times when I've like read about a case and I like know what's going on. And then when you're actually doing it, like things just look different and you don't really exactly understand what's going on. Like Even if you have read and have done things ahead of time, sometimes the first time you do a procedure, it's still very confusing. Yeah. And so you can be prepared and still not know things. Right. Right. And I think the really
0: interesting thing for IR in particular is that the steps of the procedure are not really steps to the procedure. It's like... If, let's say I'm doing a, a transarterial chemoembolization, right? I have to, I get access, I get my catheter up to the celiac artery, and then the step is get to the <laughs> artery that is feeding the tumor, right? Draw, but the, actual, draw the rest of the owl. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? But the actual process of doing that, like, okay, I've selected my visceral artery but what did i use to select my visceral artery because some catheters can track into the celiac axis whereas some are more stable just sitting outside okay now what microcatheter are you using well they have different compliances and now you need to you just need to spin it and keep working till you get to that artery and it's like well okay you see this angle now you're going to want to take your micro wire out and give it a new curve and then put it back in and try and go again it's like all these little things where you don't you can't just read that off a list right. and say, because it would just fractal out into infinity right. because it's just <laughs> a series of, yeah, it, you, yeah, you don't know until you're in the case. Or like a fistulogram. when you get a fistula, all the history is like, it wasn't working in dialysis and they'll tell you how it wasn't working in dialysis. You could do a physical exam and you could do an ultrasound and all of that is to like narrow down the way in which this is not working but there's always a chance that you stick your catheter in you do your first angiogram and you see something and you're like okay
1: now i have to deal with that right, right. like like this might be kind of a weird analogy but it's like if you're playing chess with a beginner and they don't know like how a rook moves you're like i mean come on <laughs> like what did you even look this up but if they're just like bad at chess <laughs> i mean okay, yeah of course they're bad at chess right and if they're right. confused they're like wait oh you oh interesting. So when the pawn is like there, that blocks me like like they can know how things work and still be confused by how things play out in a game. Right. Like both right. things are both things are valid, right? Yeah.
0: And and with IR it's it's a lot of that. Like there's a lot of pieces on the proverbial board to know and there is also just the fact that like sometimes some shit will happen and you just gotta figure it out while you're right. in the case like because the anatomy is not standard and the right. same thing with surgery right sometimes you open up the patient you're like wow this is a fucking fun house in here right. okay let's figure <laughs> right. it out like, right like,
1: yeah. like, oh this is not what i thought would happen at all.
0: yeah right. yeah i think it's the procedural version of oh the patients didn't read the textbook right it's like right. they people sure. say that all the time of it's course just like Whatever happens to the patient happens to the patient. You got to figure it out. In yeah. the case of anatomy, it's even more so where it's like, but you said it would be like this. <laughs> I don't understand. The books sorry, are very clear. Mr. Gray, this is wrong. This is all wrong. Yeah. How is this artery coming off of there? It's supposed to come off from there. I don't, yeah. I disagree. I disagree <laughs> oh, with all it's, of this. It's also coming off from there? There's two of them. Okay, oh. but I was told
1: there'd be one. <laughs> I was, come on. Right. No, yeah, for sure. That's a, right. And I think. So right. I think that is really important, right? So right. I think it's a very, a very long
0: walk to say, like, as an attending, you have to be flexible to the fact that your trainee probably can't expect everything that you can expect. Yes, you know that this is like a common variant. But they probably studied for the standard procedure, and now they're like, "Oh shit!" And and as your trainees get up, like, okay, your first time trainee maybe doesn't know about this main variant. Second time trainee should probably know about the common variants, and then third time, you know, each time they rotate through, right? So being flexible to their different levels of training. You, right. know, you can't treat an intern like a fellow. To some extent, it's valuable to ask the intern, like, oh, what would you do if you were the fellow in this situation? You know, always try to train to the next level because that's the only way you get to the next level. right? So you can't pull your punches too much, but at the same time, you can't go full force on the person who's coming in on the first day, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's a balance there. It's, it's not being overly punitive and adapting to the level of knowledge that that person should have i yeah. think are two very valuable ways to not be overly malignant yeah and then obviously never getting
1: personal <laughs> right of course yeah <laughs> right, well I, so i i like this also to discussion people have talked about pimping right so pimping in medicine um it's particularly loved within surgery which is basically like on the spot questioning sort of in a series about things whether it's about the patient or about the procedure or about random shit sometimes <laughs> and i think i hate when it's history oh well yeah i mean that's just i'm like this is dumb i'm not yeah. i just don't when it's act. just like
0: who came up with this procedure i'm like i don't know they didn't put their name in the title so i can't tell you
1: <laughs> hard to say <laughs> yeah but yeah you know i think what's i'm someone where if it's a positive environment and like a friendly environment i actually learn pretty well from that because getting the answer wrong solidifies in my head like the right answer but it all is about, which is to your point, right? Like that little bit of adrenaline is useful, but that is like, there, there's a very, there, there's a relatively narrow therapeutic window for that, right? Like, cause it's really easy to go into the, this is sort of a more like malignant pimping of like, you're a bad person for getting this wrong type, which is not helpful beyond the fact that you kind of just like makes you feel shitty. I think it also means you don't really retain anything. Because you, you, get, you get this total fight or flight response of like, just like freaking out because you got it wrong and the person is, you know, I'm giving you crap for it or sort of antagonizing you. And then you're not going to retain really what you gained from that experience. Right, right. Two things. One, the term
0: pimping, I feel like it's going to go. One day, like that's one actually, day, somebody's that's a really gonna good be point, like, "Actually, it's a really good yeah, point." Yeah, I feel like one day somebody's gonna be like, "Hey, maybe we should stop using this," and we're all gonna be like, "Yeah, you're probably right." We should call it
1: sexual trafficking instead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: oh, oh, oh God, no! Oh God, no, Severe, you've made it worse. <laughs> it's really strange you said. It. I've actually literally never considered this, but I guess is my own blind spot right. until just now that that term is like
0: not really acceptable okay i think that's gonna be our our thing like when we hit attending hood somebody one day is gonna be like oh we don't call it pimping anymore and you're gonna have, see people react differently to that yeah <laughs> yeah that's it's really a really good point wow i'll be like what come on why <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's fun it's just fun you know Oh, what, what do you mean it's not bad yeah, yeah. Oof, watch. oh yeah man these these huh. fucking liberal meta <laughs> students can't handle anything anymore <laughs> I just, I have a feeling that that one's going to go the way of the dinosaurs.
1: That's but actually, for the wow, time being. really interesting. I shall oh. refer to it as it is commonly known as pimping. Right. Uh, I think Pe- it's, People have come up with like a backronym for it, which is put in my place, P-I-M-P. I don't think that is at all what it is, but that might well, be the justification. that's actually the problem, right? <laughs> right. If your pimping is to make somebody
0: remember that they're lesser than you, right. you've already failed. The key to pimping is that it's supposed to be. The much more appropriate term, teaching. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to be. If only we had another term for this. Ah, damn yeah, English. Yeah, that's a lack of terms. I'm not going to berate you into the ground. Instead, I'm going
1: to teach you about something. Well, fun fact and for you, Anoop. Uh, the word doctor, Latin root, means to teach. Doceere. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> well, it's in the fucking word. Shocker.
0: I yeah. but that's because we stole doctor from phd that is that is the reason reason. but still i mean besides the point i think bad pimping is just like a series of questions that i'm going to ask you no matter what and you will get them right or wrong and then i will judge you based on that right right good pimping is you ask a question right they get it right or wrong and then you have to ask a series of questions thereafter that assesses the way in which they have gotten it right or wrong yes
1: yes exactly
0: essentially if they get it right your next question should be did they get it right for the right reason or did they just memorize it right. and if they got it right for the right reason so they got it right and they showed their work then you move on to the next topic right if they get it wrong you want to assess the way in which they got it wrong because sometimes they actually know the right answer mm-hmm. it's just you asked it wrong and this is a thing that no attendings like so few i think it's like of attendings could fathom the concept
1: that maybe the question they asked was stupid as shit. And that's why there was this amazing, I don't remember if I read this on Reddit or if there's like a friend of mine, but basically they got asked when you're putting in like a trach, what would be like an artery you're very concerned about? And they said the brachiocephalic artery and the attending said, no, it's the innominate artery. Which, one, those are the same. Yeah. And two, enum artery literally just means unnamed artery. Which yeah. is even funnier. They're like, no, no, no. It's not the name you said. It's actually the unnamed artery. You're like, no, <laughs> it's the name I said. Yeah.
0: It's the same thing. It's not a nominate anymore. We named it. We
1: named the artery. <laughs> yeah. But yes. So it's just like an example. But basically, you know, that awareness to be, you know, you are also fallible as the attending. And then, yeah, to your point, like sometimes, I mean, th- I think we've all had this experience, which is like when you know the answer, but you're scared of looking dumb because, it's, you know, it's one of those questions where it's like, if you answer this and you're wrong, you're going to look really dumb. Yeah. But if you're right, then you're like, you're just right. But it's like, is, is the risk reward worth it? Yes, if you're wrong, yes. you're gonna look like like, an, like an, actually a dumbass. But if you just don't say anything, you're like, okay, he just didn't know the answer. Right, <laughs> right. It's it's tricky. It's tricky.
0: And and there's that Benjamin Franklin quote that I'm going to misquote right now. But it's better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Like, I believe that's Mark Twain. Actually, is but it Mark Twain? I thought. I thought. Well, Let's see. Let's see. I could be wrong. So maybe I'm misquoting it by attributing to right. it to. Wait, I mean, the
1: quote. I think you actually nailed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Better be thought a fool. Quick uh, Google brick. Wow. This Quick is actually Google hilarious. Break. It is. It is attributed to both Abraham Lincoln and Mark Twain, but also maybe the Bible. <laughs> cool. So oh, fuck it. I guess it's a log. <laughs> Long and
0: short of it. Not Benjamin
1: Franklin. Yeah, the the Bible quote is, even a fool is thought wise if he kept, keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Basically, it, it's a pretty common thought. I mean, sorry, Samir. And so Benjamin Franklin didn't write the Bible? Right. Because
0: <laughs> that was the impression that I was operating on right. Oh, oh sorry, well, in that case, then yes. Yeah, so then, 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 yeah, then, yeah. Then, then it's definitely Benny Frank's, for sure. B- BF. <laughs> My BF, BF. Good old BF. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> so that, so that, right. besides my lack of understanding of various quotes and famous people, <laughs> right. there is a point at which you need to acknowledge that you're maybe not asking the question in the right way, and moreover, the way in which you ask a question can be a lesson in and of itself. One of my tendings, he has a a habit of saying, like, I think this is a read my mind question. Oh, yes. And then he asks it. But it's nice to just acknowledge that, like, okay, maybe this question isn't fair. But, like, see if you can figure it out. (laughs) Yes.
1: I also have tendings to do that. And it's really nice. Because when you get it wrong, they're like, ah, whatever. It's, like, kind of, like, just prefacing. It's like, this is a riddle. Can you figure it out? (laughs)
0: Like, oh, okay, maybe. I think you figure it out.
1: And they're like, nice. Great way
0: to read my mind. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because a little bit like that read my mind mentality i see why people like it because you operate as a team and the more your teammates can predict what you want the better the team will function so i see why people rely on that like read my mind because they they want to turn you into a person who knows what they want without them having to say
1: it. i actually had an interesting experience about that so i was operating with an attending um, so at the end of last year and we also had a fourth year medical student in the case and he asked her a read my mind question and I knew what he meant. Mm-hmm. She didn't, but of I course. did. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. I know exactly what you're getting at. Right. Because I was like, you know, like I, I could tell from the way the conversation, like the way he was teaching about stuff, what he was referring to. I don't remember the specific example anymore, but it was, it was a nice feeling. I was like, oh, I totally understand where you're going for or what you're going for. And the reason for that is I was very aware of the topic we were discussing. So it was sort of the obvious next logical step. So to your point... The longer you spend around those people or doing those procedures, you will maybe have a better ability to read their mind. I guess an analogy would be with improv, which is a lot of times we talk about that, right? The idea of group mind when doing a scene or anything like that is if you can read each other's minds effectively, it makes for a lot better improv because you kind of know what the person's going to do before they do it. Um, And a lot of surgery is that, right? It's anticipating. People always talk about that. They're like, what elevates you from an intern or more junior level resident to a more senior resident is your ability to anticipate. Right. When you're ready, when you know the next instrument, when you know exactly what they're going to need next, that ability you develop is part of what helps you on that path toward being an attending. Right. Understandable to want to um, elicit that. Right. Right. But there is a line
0: to it. It's like, I understand that you like that I can read your mind, but I'm not actually here to learn how to read your mind. (laughs) That's not, yeah. So you have to adapt to that. And understanding the value of your questions as a teaching tool, not as just a series of questions that you ask. It's like, most pimping is actually pretty lazy. It's just like, these are the questions that I ask about that thing. Either you know them or you don't, and that's the end of that. And it's like, once you do know them, I assume you know the thing, and I move on. But that's not actually... Even if you get all the questions right, that is not actually a nuanced understanding of the thing. It just means that I know the answers to those questions specifically. And and admittedly, you will probably get an understanding of that person's nuanced uh, knowledge by how they act, right? If, if you're dealing with a senior resident, are they making the right decisions because you're letting them make those decisions? But if the gate to their ability to make those decisions is just like, do you know this random string of facts... That's not a adequate assessment. Yeah, you haven't really proven anything. Yeah. And, in fact, you never... If they know the right thing to do, it's largely not your responsibility. Like, they learned that probably on their own because sure. you were so obsessed with things that didn't matter or whatever random string of trivia that's i think that's why the history stuff kind of rubs me the wrong way i kind of i like it because it's fun but then when they like treat it like oh you should know that i'm like why sh-
1: why i have a series of yeah. random questions that i'm like collecting that i think are fun pimp questions because i think yeah. they're just like they're like stupid but yeah. they would never be something where i would expect the person to really know it and if they don't i'm gonna be like how could you not know that
0: yeah um they're it's just like, fun
1: a- they're nice to like fill the silence everywhere. Right. In a while. Like yeah. one that I'm definitely gonna use because I think this is fascinating is like where was protamine first isolated from? Turns out salmon sperm. Interesting. Yeah. Why? I do not know, but crazy.
0: What a crazy who, fact. Who was who was doing this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. crazy oh, we thing. don't like Mark. He's a little weird. <laughs> oh, why does Mark have so much money? Well um <laughs> uh, well yeah he's well, still weird but <laughs> he really committed and it paid up <laughs> big time yeah.
1: yeah so exactly i i think to your point that that way of asking is important a slight tangent from this but i think obviously still relevant to the idea of non malfeasance. um you know not being malignant i think it's to do and I, I i'm obviously very much referring to a surgery environment it's the one i'm probably most familiar with and so that's kind of my experience but obviously this, of course, exists within other types of residency as well. But I think um, what's really important is the operating room environment in general. And a lot of that beyond the attending is shaped by like your ancillary staff, right? Like your circulator, your scrub nurse, et cetera. And I'm someone who I've obviously chosen a surgical field. I'm in the OR a lot. And I remember distinctly from medical school, I had mul- I was talking to multiple classmates in our third year medical school who did not like going to the operating room, not because of anything to do with that intrinsically but because people there were dicks. Yeah. Like it would be like yeah. the scrub nurse. this is a classic. And this is, I'm, I'm someone, once again, I, there are a lot of scrub nurses who I get along with super well, who I've like hung out with outside of work. Like they're very chill. They're great. They're very fun people. They're very good at what they do. I also interact with the people who for some reason are like bizarrely territorial and like aggressive, particularly toward med students and younger residents. And it's just so unnecessary. And it makes for just like a really poor learning environment. Um, and just like a bad environment to like take care of patients in, in general. Right. And I think as an attending, obviously you're not doing the harm there, but I guess kind of blending a little bit with beneficence, like you can say something, like you are the authority in the room. Yes. Yes. It, it, I guess
0: part of non-malfeasance is also making sure that nobody else is being malfeasant at the same time, right? Yeah. Is double checking other people's work in that sense. So yeah, I mean, I, I think part of the reason I really liked IR is a lot of the scrub techs are relatively chill by comparison Yeah. <laughs> like i mean they're still they still care and they still have you know they they can be a little bit more territorial but at least in my experience they've all been pretty nice yeah uh enough that like after you've proven that you're not a complete idiot they're they're fine with you being around Pre- they just they need to know you enough to know that you're not gonna like break the sterile field
1: well, I, I guess part of it, what it is is that like i think there should be like a baseline of more respect toward like the medical student or new resident in that environment where it's like, we're not like fucking idiots.
0: Yeah. Like, we don't yes.
1: know the culture of the OR, maybe, but like, just tell us stuff like, oh, like, just make sure you don't like touch your, um, or like go below this area because that's considered like not sterile. Right. You can just like tell somebody, you don't have to be like, what, what are you doing? Like, stop doing that. Like, what? Why? Yeah. It's just, it's so easy to be a normal person. I don't understand. It's just bizarre. I, man.
0: I'll tell you a tale that I heard from a surgical rotation as a med student. You may have heard this as well. This is one of our colleagues. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> medical school, I, I, I know where that they were sent. They, they scrubbed in something in the area of like five or six times. And the person never told them what they were getting wrong. They would just tell them to break scrub and go do it again, <laughs> like over and over again. Eventually, it was like they were toweling the wrong way. They weren't flipping the towel correctly when they were drying off their
1: hands. Also, can we just discuss scrubbing real quick? A thing that I've thought about for, like, years now, so we do this whole thing where, like, scrub, 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 scrub and then you, like, wash your hands in, like, this random tap water, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, I drink tap water. It's fine. Sure. But, like, are we really, are we pretending that that's, like, 100% super sterile? Yeah. Because it's it's, it's not, right? Like, like you know that, right? Like, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and now there's
0: Avogard. And they're just like, oh yeah, that works just as well. And I'm like, well, that one works like Purell, so I (laughs) think I like that one more. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Call me crazy. I
1: just, I mean, there's definitely voodoo associated. I mean, clearly, we're not going to go in with like dirty hands, but like, there's definitely like voodoo associated with all of this. Like, it's just at some point, I mean, there is just some level this is not totally real. No, you're scrubbing, and then it's like you scrub, and then you're, like, I guess they're, like, below your belly button approximately. Like, that's no longer sterile. But, like, you're touching it. And so if there's, like, bacteria, they could creep up higher. And then you touch that. I, it doesn't... It's all made up, dude. It's, like, totally... It like doesn't make I any sense. I wash
0: my hands. I go in. I put on a, a gown and two layers of gloves. And you're telling me, like, what What are you talking
1: about? <laughs> <laughs> also, we're giving the patients, like, antibiotics. Like, people aren't made of tissue paper. Yeah. Like, you do, like you do understand that we're getting bombarded with millions of bacteria all the time that's just like a baseline
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i appreciate what
1: they're saying and like obviously we should be very careful but like also we like on. prep the shit out of the skin yeah we like we do, we do all these things like there's so many steps here that like the uh, yes the fact that it's you didn't like flip no the towel way. correctly is not going to be like what tips the person into sepsis like are you kidding yeah absolutely not it's just so I, insane I defy it's it. just totally so, insane and,
0: and moreover they didn't actually help
1: Right. They just yes. made them do it again. They just made them miserable for no reason. And right. also the same the same people who do this type of thing who are like kind of on a power trip, right? Which once again i want to be clear, that is not all of them. You know, I think I'd make an no. argument it's not even most. Like I think a, a lot of people I've worked with have been great. And I really I like I go into a room for a case and I'm like very excited to work with them because they're like fun people who make the case better. <laughs> yes. oh, and they're like very good at their job. The best, Right. Yeah. It's amazing. But you have these people and it's like interesting so the attending did the same thing i did and yet only i got yelled at i wonder what the difference is is it that hmm. only my action somehow magically made me not sterile and the attending into the same action wasn't sterile or is it that you're on a power trip i wonder yeah. which one it could be
0: it's just there's one person in the room that you could shit on so there you go <laughs> there you go right it's like that's a weird coincidence yeah and i'll take it back to what you said it's like respecting the med student i don't know if it's necessary respect it's like It's just understanding that they are not permanently ignorant. Like, yes, they they don't know, and they can know, and the barrier between them not knowing and knowing is you. And you should take – does it not feel good to make somebody better at something? Yeah, That's always been my thought, is if somebody doesn't know how to do something, and I tell them, and now they do –
1: I would feel good about that. And so actually along these same lines, because it made me think of it as being an intern, um, which is that as an intern, you get this list of tasks, right, to do. And there are a lot of tasks. Sometimes you have a list and sometimes you either forget things because you forgot to write them down or you it was on your list, but for some reason you just didn't see it. It got lost in the shuffle. And that happens, right? You're, you're, you're a human. It happens. And that's why things like running the list are, you know, is important kind of checking in with your seniors to make sure things aren't getting missed. But then I think an important thing when it comes to non-malfeasance is like inter-resident interactions as well. As a senior resident or just as a co-resident, not doing harm is also important. You are in a position of some power, you are like their senior and it is really easy to just not be a dick. at least I think so. I, I think it's pretty easy to not to do. Honestly, you mean, yeah, you I mean you just don't be a dick. I don't know. It just doesn't seem hard to me. People appear to struggle with it sometimes, yes. <laughs> um, yes. which is confusing. Um, yes. But furthermore, I think it just, it to me, it's just like a real, I, I, I'm being somewhat facetious because, I mean, I, I understand when you're very stressed, when you're working like 80 plus hours a week, I get it. Your fuse is shorter and you're scared that or concerned that it, because this thing didn't get done, something's going to happen to a patient, you're going to get in trouble with an attending. It's going to be a whole thing. Like, I get it. I understand the pressures that exist. But- you know obviously if someone has a pattern of kind of messing things up or not not caring right it's a little different but if someone just forgot something like you know i mean it it happens right like it it does happen like you can just be nice about it and be like you know hey like you forgot to do this thing It's really important to make sure you write them down and you know we can run the list more often if we need that to make sure that you know we're checking everything off right yes. there are ways to do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're putting them on an island of shame
0: i agree it shouldn't be the immediate supposition that this is a pattern of behavior if it happens once, right? Right. It's like they did a thing wrong once. Assume that they can
1: learn how to do it correctly and just teach them, (laughs) just tell them. I think there's also the the, like selection bias aspect of like, let's say you notice that someone seems to be missing a thing and maybe like every few days when you are just running the list, like they missed a thing. Okay, legitimate. They should be focusing more. But there is a secondary part, which is like, they are also probably really overwhelmed by what's going on. And they've also done like hundreds of things right today.
0: Right. Like it, you don't get any credit for that.
1: Right. Like it is something to be said that you kind of at least, you don't have to directly be like, I know you did things right today. You don't, you don't, you don't have to say that, but I at least acknowledge in your own mind, right? You're not, you're, you're going to fixate on the mistake, but right. especially in residency where it is oftentimes a thankless job. Like it is nice to just acknowledge that, They are doing a lot. And once again, sometimes mistakes or omissions happen. Yeah.
0: Well, and the backslide is part of any educational process. It's like eventually you're going to forget some of the things you learned because you're learning a lot. And the context in which you forgot them matters, right? If you forgot to replete lights, but it was because that day you were learning how to manage DKA for the first time. And so you were too busy dealing with that patient and you didn't think about this other patient and you forgot the thing that maybe you forgot two weeks ago. That doesn't mean that you right. have totally backslid and you're making the same mistake. It means that you were just overwhelmed by this other
1: situation. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good example. I think I will say on the subject of the, like a do no harm, which is I have definitely overslept a couple times um, for rounds. It happens to everyone, and I will say the teams I've been on, no one has really given me too much shit for it. They're like, like, hey man, it happens. Obviously, don't like do this a lot. (laughs) Don't, but But if you do, we get it. Like we've all done it. Like you're really tired, and sometimes you just sleep through your alarms, or you like fall asleep before setting alarms because you're really exhausted. Like we, like we get it. It happens. Um, It happens to everyone. And I think that's also, nice. I mean, like, you already feel, like, when you wake up like that and you start, like, immediately sweating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, like, not a good way to start uh, a morning. Oh, the visceral,
0: it's, like, for most people, they have probably pretty thoroughly punished themselves before yeah. they even get to you. They're probably, like, I'm the biggest fucking idiot in, <laughs> in the world. world. I can't believe I did that. I'm a garbage person. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you they come in and you're, like, yes, you are a garbage person, they're, like, great. At least everybody knows that. I knew it. I <laughs> knew <Yeah. laughs> it. was right. yeah (laughs) Yeah. at At least i was right about this
1: (laughs) (laughs) right exactly and so i think yeah those things you know part of i think creating a welcoming environment and one in which people feel comfortable making mistakes they feel comfortable asking questions they they want to they come to work they enjoy being there is creating an environment in which yeah non-malfeasance is a key part of it right in which you are not causing harm because frankly the hospital is a place in which harm happens right Harm happens to you as a resident because you are around patients who are sick. You're around patients who sometimes are not getting the care that they should be getting. You're around people who don't have insurance. And now there's all this crazy stuff going on in which they can't get the care they deserve because of reasons that are sort of outside their and your control. And so things that are stressful and do cause legitimate harm to you and to them. And creating an environment in which you're not also contributing to that harm is important, right? If you want to do something about burnout, that's important. It's just exactly what you're
0: saying there's just this high basal rate of decay like you will just actively be less well day by day because of the subject matter right? yeah and your ability to plus minus ignore that is like that's different for everybody but the supposition is most people if you just experience the hospital at a normal level will probably feel less good leaving the work day. yeah and you can change that it's kind of it's exactly like what you were talking about with some bad apple scrub text. I hate the bad apple thing. Bad, the whole phrase is bad apple spoiled a bunch. Yeah, right? I, know. I thought about
1: this for years.
0: Yes. But let's say the same thing can happen with senior residents, right? They get an ounce of power and what you decide to do with that is kind of character defining. It's, once you have an ounce of power, what you do with it is the entirety of your person really. What you do when you have no power, that's just what everybody does. But once you have control over another person, that really defines who you are. And you can choose to go two ways with it. You can choose to acknowledge that this is a learning environment and that your primary goal is to teach a person. And you shouldn't be destroying them on a day-to-day basis. Or you could say that I was treated poorly when I was an intern and therefore I will treat my interns poorly. Right. And... As I've said, I think I've said this many times. If that's your mentality, you might just be a bad
1: person. Right. No, I mean, (laughs) that's my opinion, too. I mean, I think I've come to that conclusion when it comes to residents. I think with surgeons, I think there is this thing within surgery of this sort of God complex surgeon who is so good at what they do and they're kind of a dick, but they're just so good at what they do. And it's like, you know what, man? I've also met surgeons who are really, really good and who aren't dicks. So it's obviously possible. Right. It, you don't have to be a dick to be a good surgeon, right? Because I mean, the other ones exist. So clearly, it's possible, and so that means you're doing something wrong, right? Like yeah, you, that that that's a, that's a reflection of you. It's not a reflection of the career you've chosen or the stresses you're under. Uh, it is in some way, but it fundamentally, I think, is a reflection on you as a person.
0: Yes, in medicine, I think there is a predilection towards spinning personality deficits as features.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I, How-
0: I think House has really not been good for that yeah house is a bad person oh for sure and yeah he's actually a bad doctor i'll go out there and say yes he can figure out what's happening with these very rare patients but you know what very rare patients are they're very rare and really your measure as a doctor is like what can you do to
1: everybody regular patients the people yeah. you work with yeah on he's a like basis. He's, he's like a very useful person to have in your back pocket but like but even then Obviously, his position is entirely fictional. That's of course. That's not a thing. It doesn't exist. Right? I'm so, sorry. Like, within this universe, he's yeah, a useful person to have.
0: Let's, let's assume that's the case, right? This universe exists. He is so unpredictable that I think I would still not want him around. I would still fire him. He's not. It's entirely defined by his whims. I don't
1: need those people around. And there are multiple episodes that I've watched in hindsight now, knowing, like, how medicine works, that could have been way shorter if he had just, like, not been a dick. Right. Right. It <laughs> like he actively he just, impedes he makes the things process. worse and then he fixes them I guess, but like he makes <laughs> them worse first.
0: Right. And obviously as doctors, you know, I think we all talk about how unrealistic these shows are, but I think somewhere in the back of people's psyches, they can build themselves up to be one of these characters, you know. I'm the surgeon, I know what I'm doing. I'm really good and so it doesn't matter how I treat other people. It always matters how you treat other people. The actual process of doing your surgery yes will help one person at a time. Just being a good person actually helps a lot more people. And there is probably a lot of unquantifiable harm you're doing to patients by being a dick that you don't know about.
1: Oh, for sure. Without a question. Things we discussed, like when you create that sort of hierarchy environment where people don't feel comfortable telling you things, you're causing harm. Right. You're 100% causing harm because people will not bring up stuff that they're concerned about and patients will get harmed. Right. Without a question. I've literally seen it happen. Exactly. And and a lot of that falls into sort of
0: unquantifiable harm, where it's like there's these misses that people, they become full-on misses, where nobody knows that they happen because the communication has broken down so fundamentally. That is the worst possible form of communication, where it's so bad that now you can't even quantify how bad it is, right? And it's not uncommon when you become that person. And obviously, surgery is one example of it, but it happens everywhere, mm-hmm. where you just have people who are so difficult to deal with that it's better not to deal with it and you can deal with it on a resident to resident basis too like there's sometimes you'll have a co-resident where you're just like i don't i don't know how to deal with this person and it's better to just avoid them point being that just on a day-to-day basis you have to ask yourself am i being that person right who my the interactions with me everybody leaves a little less because the hospital will already do that so you shouldn't be adding to that (laughs) on a day-to-day basis it's not to say to be a pushover. Like, it's important to push back if you feel like things are going incorrectly. It's important to correct people when they're doing things wrong. But there is a way to correct people that is detrimental to their well-being. And there's a way to do it where you are actually just educating them. Uh, and you
1: should lean towards the, the latter. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like a good, Simo. Well, thanks once again for listening. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at MWS Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mwspodcastfb. We also have a Gmail account, at gmail.com. if you have any thoughts that you would like to communicate. And as always, our theme
0: song is Nothing Slash Anything by Westy Reflector. Thanks for listening. See you guys next week.